It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, we're in a, a series here at Grace Leith on, on the Psalms. Of course, the Psalms is really a, a songbook or a poetry book found right in the middle of the Bible. And this psalm in particular, um, the heading is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. So that is a distinctive feature of Psalm uh, 92. I wonder what this whole experience is like for you. I mean, by experience, I mean coming here in church in Grace Leith or even the whole Sunday experience. It's really a, a distinctive Christian thing that we gather together on worship on Sunday. And Arthur was talking to the new members about, about church. And I wonder, was there a sense of thrill? And is there a sense of thrill when we speak about church? You know, there's an old hymn that says, "Glory came uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I wonder, you know, as we were walking down Leith Walk, approaching uh, this church on a Sunday morning, does our heart beat a little bit faster? Is there an excitement we can hardly sleep on Saturday nights, wondering what is going to happen in church? What is Athol going to say to us today? And we just can't wait to get here. Or is it rather more pedestrian and rather more uh, uh, just ordinary? Robert Louis Stevenson, strange enough, said in his diary, about church in a mixture of kind of uh, uh, sarcasm and unbelief. He says, I have been to church today and I am not depressed. It kind of amazed him that he had attended church and it wasn't a depressing experience. Now, you're a very young congregation, but for those of you who are ancient, you'll remember a TV character called Noel Edmonds, multicolored swap shop was a thing back in the Victorian age. Noel Edmonds said this, that church is the dullest experience this country has 
to offer. Well, that's what Psalm 92 is all about. It's about the, it's what it's called here, the Sabbath, the gathering, the whole Sunday experience. And that really is what we're looking at for a short time this morning from this passage. And of course, the whole Sunday thing is, is a tremendous gift. Uh, Sunday speaks to us of rhythm, that it's a time to switch off the machine. It speaks to us of rest and grace. It's one of God's great gifts to us that says that you have the right not to shop. You have the right not to work. You, you can really stop the machine. And it's not God imposing some kind of legalistic restrictions on him. Rather, he's saying, chill out, relax, enjoy me, and enjoy one another. What is not to like about that view of Sabbath as we have there in Psalm 92? That we can say to our work, I am not your slave. Not a great experience if we leave work on Friday or Saturday, wherever in Edinburgh, sometimes a, a bit of a tradition is an early day and a Friday as we go out the door of the office, the hospital or whatever, we turn back at the building and we say, I am not your slave. Goodbye. I'm going to exult in a rock that's higher than you are. So Psalm 92 changes the orientation of our lives. And for many of us, the anchor of our lives at our work, uh, that's what makes us going. That's what directs our energy and our thoughts. And God is saying, there's another way, there's another perspective. And Sundays is the time when we can recalibrate our lives. And so you see it there in the heading, it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. In fact, the only psalm that is specifically set aside to be a psalm for the Sabbath. And the title is, is intriguing. And of course, David here, the, the author, is putting himself in there. For you make me glad by your deeds. And so we find here that Sundays is a, Sundays is a perspective-altering scenario. If I were to be asked from this psalm, what is the one big theme of this particular psalm? It takes me to a book written in the late 1950s by a guy called J.B. Phillips. And, and the book is called this, Your God is Too Small. And to me, that's the fundamental point of the psalm. Psalms have got typically a hinge point. And the hinge point there is verse 8. But you, O Lord, are forever exalted. And that kind of hinge alters our whole perspective. Now, here is, again, we're just in the introduction. We'll run through the sermon rather more quickly than this. But if I were asked, what is the one big issue in the church today that, maybe not, not a silver bullet, but is transformative, it would be this, our view of God. Our God is too small. There's another book written by a guy called Donald McCulloch, 
And uh, he talks about a manageable deity. The, the book he's written is entitled The Trivialization of God, The Dangerous Illusion of a Manageable Deity. The author, uh, Annie Dillard, she uh, uh, speaks of, of people, you know, normal religious experience, normal people who just treat church as a kind of, you know, lifestyle choice. She says uh, this, cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute. That's kind of cheery wifey, isn't she? But we don't want to be like that, do we? Cheerful, brainless tourists on a tour of the absolute. Again, another author says, uh, a guy called David Wells, he says this, a fundamental issue in the church today is that God rests too inconsequentially in the church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy and his Christ is too common. So, it's about the bigness of God. Let's look at three things. Preachers talk about three P's and a poem as being a typical sermon. I don't have three P's and a poem, but given that Psalm 92 is a poem, we have three P's in the poem. So, we're looking today at Psalm 92. What are we? It's a Sunday psalm. It's a church psalm. What makes Sunday people special? Three things. Number one is that we are a passionate people. Passionate. Look at what the text says. It is good to praise the Lord. Make music to your name, proclaiming your love in the morning. Verse 4, for you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. There is, there is passion there is praise. There is a sense of amazement. Grace is not ordinary. Grace is amazing. The name of this church is Grace Church Leith. <laughs> My sad experience is that very often churches with the word grace in them uh, often are one of the least graceful church churches. That's not true of this church. But let's make the name fit who we are. People who exult in grace and gifts. Folk who are verse 4 people, you make me glad by your uh, uh, deeds, O Lord. And so the, the delight here is caused by thinking. By thinking on the greatness of God. Now that is the ultimate therapy. I don't know you. And I don't want to belittle your experience, but I would imagine that many of you are in therapy, have done therapy, would love to do therapy, or think that you ought to do therapy. And that's legitimate. There's great things out there. Consider this, that this experience, that your whole Grace Church experience is therapeutic. It is the ultimate therapy. Why? Because it reorientates our lives. It gives us perspective. It takes us away from thinking about ourselves to thinking about God and his higher power, his majesty and his holiness. And so worship lifts us 
out of ourselves. And it's not a bad thing that when we worship, that we're just taken out of ourselves up to God. Remember verse 8, for you, O Lord, are forever exalted. It stops us from self-absorption. Again, you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have made. It's an all-day occupation. He he says it's something you do in in the morning. I proclaim your love in the morning. It bookends our day and your faithfulness at night. In the morning, the first thing we do before we look at our phone, we think, God, you are so good. I'm alive. I'm this side of the earth. Today is a new day. You are always good. I praise you, Lord. That's not a bad start to the day. And that's what this songwriter is saying. I I will thank you for your faith, for your love in the morning. Tomorrow, I understand, is February the 14th, and I'm told it's Valentine's Day, a day when you express love, a day when your gaze and your thoughts go beyond yourself. The ultimate love and I don't wish to be twee, is the love of God for us, the unconditional, unchanging, fixed, generous love of God, the crazy love of God, because that's what grace is. Why should he love me? I'm unlovable. That's why grace is amazing. And so as we worship God, we experience the nearest thing to crazy that we've ever been the fact that God loves us. Now, look as the psalm develops. Proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Verse 3, to the music of a ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. Music. I love the music of Grace Leaf. I love, uh, you know, I'm a 60-something Presbyterian just doing is written all over my face. And the nearest you get for me and Joy is a slight sway, okay? Well, this is what, what we get here when we hear the, the music. And that's, that's a Psalm 92 experience. It, it says there, I, I proclaim your love to the music of a ten-stringed lyre, my version says, and the melody of the harp. Martin Luther, who was a a reformer, said a really, he said lots of interesting things, but he said this, he said, I place music next to theology. We've got a brain, but we've also got a heart. We've got a beat in our soul. And so the psalmist is saying when music, which hits our emotions, is good, is combined with our mind-exalting God, then we've got a great duality. We've got this sense of our passions and our mind working together to praise God. The music and the content matters. And the content of our worship is seen in verse 4 and 5. For you make me glad by your deeds, I sing for joy at what your hands have done. And so, Sunday people are praising people. We see God's works, creation. We see God's deeds, what he has done 
in Christ, that he has sent Jesus into the world to save us, to redeem us, and that the whole world is going to be turned upside down, the works of God and the deeds of God. As we think about these things, we're caught up in worship, that we've been claimed by Christ for the whole of eternity. We are consumed by God. So, Psalm 92 people, Sunday people, we are a passionate people, a praising people, if, if you like. There is a beat in our souls. That's one of the things that make us different from a non-Christian. We are a praising people. So that's the first P. What's the second P in Psalm 92? Not only are we a praising people, uh, verses 6, uh, verses 1 to 5, verses 6 to 11, we are a privileged people. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought the language was pretty heavy. Uh, you've got ESV, I'm preaching for, uh, from, from NIV people. Verse 6, senseless people do not know. Uh, verse 6, again, fools do not understand. Verse 7, the wicked spring up like grass. Evildoers flourish. They will be destroyed forever. Brutish people is another word that's used. That is pretty heavy-duty language. But Psalm 92 is saying we're not like that. It's interesting. I'm sure, you know, Arthur's been, been preaching through the, the Psalms, and uh, I guess he's mentioned, I'm sure he has, that wisdom is, is a big issue in, in the Psalms. It's wisdom literature. What makes a wise person and what makes a fool? A fool is not an intellectual thing. You know, if you're one of those wordle addicts and you takes you six tries to get your wordle thing and you think, I'm such a fool, that's not what foolishness is. Maybe you're the sort of person that gets wordle always in one like that and you say, they're really, really smart. No, foolishness and wisdom is not a matter of intellect. Is something bigger than that. It's a relationship uh, with God. The senseless person is deliberately ignoring God. So the fool is not daft. The fool simply ignores God. The fool has said in the heart, the Bible says, there is no God. The fool has concluded that Although this universe is so amazing, although our stories and lives seem to be not random, but purposeful, the fool has said it is all randomness, it is all luck. The fool doesn't see the greatness of God. Uh, the fool is occupied by the present. And that's one of the things that Sunday does. It changes us, verse 7, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. That was a point Athel made last week. He says that people who are Christians have got an eternal view. They've got a view on things that last. They're not transitory. Uh, the, the wicked spring up like grass. You know, uh, the happy and successful person thinks that it's all about now, but the psalm is saying no, there is an eternity to live. So this psalm gives us orientation. It gives us a privilege. We see things 
that the non-believer does not. Bad things happen in life for, for every single one of us. Why do bad things happen to good people? We, we don't know. Uh, there's a, another psalm, Psalm 73. You know, it's a famous psalm. It says, I was really, this is a, a general paraphrase, I was absolutely gutted when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So there you are, you are having a really bad day. Your kids are not like the other kids. Your house is not as immaculate as everyone else. You just feel your life is in a mess. Your next door neighbor hates God, has no time for the things of God, and they are absolutely prospering. You know, they've got a new kitchen, they've got a new bathroom, they can afford a new electric car, their children are always smiling, and, you know, the wife has got straight teeth. You think, why are people like that? I am suffering. And, and life gets out of perspective, doesn't it? You know, and we look at face, well, Facebook's up there with Noel Edmonds, isn't it? It's so, so old. But we look at social media and we say, ah, oh. the psalmist said here, no. <clears throat> Church Sunday gives us orientation. It's not about the social media life. God is in control. He's got a, a bigger purpose here. He, he is in control and all things are working together for good. It gives us orientation that it's purposeful in life. It says here, the one who, the language is really powerful. All evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. That's really pretty serious. God's people are on the winning side. There is power, there is anointing here. So we're passionate people. We're privileged people. We're not like the fools that do not understand. God has given us wisdom. We're not worked out ourselves. He's given us this perspective. He's given us grace. We realize today that there's something bigger at work than what we see. We're praising people. We're privileged people. But I think the third thing that the psalm speaks about here is that we are productive people. And you see that from verse 11 to verse 15. From verse 11 to 15. There's two pictures here. And they're pictures of trees, basically, aren't they? Uh, Verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Palm, palm trees, they, they grow in the desert, don't they? They, they survive. They, from a palm tree, you can get food and shelter and, and cover. Um, I recommend um, Desert Island Discs. As you get older, you move up the radio stations, don't you? Uh, and I'm at Radio 4 now, Desert Island Discs. What would you do in a desert island? Folk often say, you know, there'd be palm trees there. They would provide protection from a t- palm tree. You, you can get all sorts of things. You can make ropes, doormats, roofs, furnitures. And so the psalmist saying here that as we get older, that's what it's talking about here, verse 14, they will still bear fruit in old age. So as we get older, there's a productivity in our lives. We become like a cedar, 
we be, we, like a palm tree, verse 12, verse 12b, we become like a cedar of Lebanon. We, we survive, we, we thrive, we, we are productive. One of the things I love about coming to Grace Church Leith is that and part of my job is to go around churches all over the country. And in many of these churches, I feel like one of the youth group. Um, I'm the youngest person in the room. Um, and here it's really good to get a better perspective to be amongst all you younger people. But I was once your age, believe it or not. And I hope that you will one day be my age and even older. How do, we, how do we look at that? Do we look at getting older with a sense of dread? Sunday people have this perspective. No, it says you'll be even more productive. You'll flourish like a palm tree. You'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon. If your roots are right, planted in the house of the Lord, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I don't want to be that old, cynical, curmudgeon critic of the younger generation. I must fight against that. I want to be growing in fruit. I want to be productive. And surely that's what we want to be. There's almost shades there of John 15 of like Jesus abiding in the vine. He is the vine. Old age can be complex and challenging, but it's also an opportunity to show fruits gained over a long life. Uh, a writer called George MacDonald said, age is not all decay. It is the ripening, the swelling of the fresh life within that withers and bursts the husk. Nature decays, but grace thrives. We're coming to the end now. And we're seeing here, really the, the big question here, as we grow old, we proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. We don't talk about the Sabbath much, certainly in the lowlands, and I think there's a good reason for that, because the Sabbath was a Saturday, wasn't it? The Jewish Sabbath was a Saturday. Why do we not have a Sabbath Saturday anymore? Because of Jesus. Because of the resurrection, Sabbath turned into Sunday, the Lord's Day. And it's because of Jesus we can look right down here because of the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus is a game changer. He is that rock that is upright. And so this psalm is saying Sunday people, church people, this is a day for reorientation. This is a day when we ask, are we passionate to revel in our privilege and to ask God to make us productive? Martin Luther, um, and with this I, I conclude, he's, he's talking about the, the difficulties of life. And we are affected by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Luther says, come, let us sing a psalm and drive away the devil.
that's a pretty good advice for February the 13th. Come with us, sing a psalm, and drive away the devil. May you have, in every sense, a great Psalm 92 Sabbath. Amen.